Welcome back, Dad, to the Father and Son Pastoral Podcast. This is podcast number 11. Uh, it's crazy. We already got to 11, so we haven't uh, crashed yet, so we're still going. So this is titled Jesus and the Reformed Samaritan Reap, and this is taken from John 4, 31 through 42. Um, as many of you who are listening know, this is I'm with my father, Ken Burge Sr., pastor or doctor, uh, or both. And I am Pastor Kenny Burge Jr. It's good to have you back, Dad. Good to be back. You know, one of the exciting things with this whole structure is you know all the technical aspects. You get setting up all these uh, devices, and I mean, it's it's amazing what you do. I get to prepare the coffee, and I got so excited when I saw chocolate uh, caramel creamer today. So I know we need to transition here because... Jesus keeps talking to people, and they're focused on the material, the physical. So God helped my mind today, but uh, it is great to be back. Love uh, love doing these podcasts with you. As uh, you know, this is part two of, uh, we called it the Bad Samaritan. Yeah. I like to refer to it as the woman at the well. Yes. So uh, just a quick recap, and like hopefully under a minute. Uh, Jesus rested at the well while his disciples went to buy bread mm-hmm. when a Samaritan woman came to the well. Um, as you know, uh, John was just arrested and Jesus left that yeah. area where he was baptizing them. We then looked at the history of the hate between the Jews and Samaritans. We then learned how Jesus had a conversation with the woman mm-hmm. and revealed himself as the Messiah. We then looked at what we could learn, how Jesus offered salvation to an outcast. Jesus placed the spiritual before the physical mm-hmm. and almost worshiped God in spirit and truth. And I think that's what uh, stuck with me the most after mm-hmm. that podcast was mm-hmm. the whole concept of worshiping God in spirit yes. and truth, how we tend to do one or the other. That's right. Uh, the podcast ended with the woman running to tell those in Sychar about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just as she does this, the disciples arrive. So uh, let's pick up the text and just get right to it. Sure. In the meantime, the disciples, and this is verse 31 of mm-hmm. John 4. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. Mm. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I think it's good they cared about the Messiah. They cared about his physical needs, so that wasn't a bad thing. However, they totally missed Jesus' spiritual statement. Um, Jesus is satisfied because he is carrying out the will of his Father. Yeah, it's um, accurate that they would come back and say, hey, you need to eat. I mean, in John 4, 8, they went to buy food. So it's, it's a natural thing. But they're almost like little kids at, at times because the, the verb tense uh, translated urging him is imperfect. They, they kept on urging him, which I find just uh, uh, interesting here. Yeah. So here they are. They're saying eat. And he says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, hey, guys, you're clueless because it's emphatic. Yeah. I yeah. strongly, I, I have food. That you do not know about. So uh, he's he's making quite a contrast by his statement. And then you have kind of the comedy yeah. going on right here. And that's what I love about John. He kind of adds these little details. Mm-hmm. Um, the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? <laughs> so they, they totally miss. Yes. And that's a theme in John. Sure. The woman, Nicodemus, the disciples always miss. At this point, at least, yeah. it feels like. When Jesus is making a spiritual statement, mm. uh, this is actually the fourth time in John's gospel, and we're only in chapter four, that uh, they totally misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time they misunderstood, Jesus said, destroy this temple, 
and I will raise it up in three days. Um, When he was tearing up the temple in the sense of casting out people, he meant that he would be killed and raised three days later. However, the Jews thought that Jesus was going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. In other words, he was a rebel where he's really making a prophecy about his body. Mm-hmm. So that was the first time. The second time, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm. Jesus is really saying you must place faith in the Son to be saved and be born again. Mm-hmm. However, Nicodemus thought Jesus was saying that a man must enter his mother and be literally born a second time. Once again, misunderstood. Third, Jesus said, whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. Jesus meant that he was offering salvation. It is like water which satisfies the soul. Mm. The woman thought Jesus was offering her physical water, which Mm. would fulfill her physical needs. And then in today's uh, passage, Jesus said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Jesus meant that he finds satisfaction in doing his father's will. The disciples thought that someone brought Jesus a loaf of bread to eat. So uh, I, I preached this, uh, I guess, last year. Mm-hmm. And one of the biblical truths I wanted to encourage people with, and I, I wrote, don't be surprised or discouraged yeah. when you are misunderstood as you teach biblical principles. Yeah. yeah. Um, Here's Jesus. He's just trying to give them spiritual truth, mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they can't get it. Yeah. It's just, it's beyond them at this point. So uh, it's just one of those things. And I know you as a pastor, as you teach, uh, sometimes people take things personal or totally miss the point. Mm-hmm. You know, as a youth pastor, I find it very amusing that when I tend to tell kids something, I'll hear something from a parent later that week, mm-hmm. and they're quoting all the things I did not say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at least with these disciples, they're uh, quoting um, Jesus, just misunderstanding. Once again, looking at the physical, not the spiritual. I had a, a Bible college professor. His 11th command was, commandment was, thou shalt not misquote the professor. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> and I get it. But uh, it was interesting because when I printed out the uh, notes you had given to me with the four illustrations where the people don't get it, I just wrote next to each one, physical, physical, mm-hmm. physical, physical. It, it sums up and you pick up on this and they just have such a, a physical, material mindset. And then I try to step back at times because you and I are privileged. Uh, you know, the old joke was... Um, uh, I, I'm paid to be good as a pastor, but you're good for nothing uh, to the congregation. I didn't always appreciate that. Uh, but the truth is you and I have the privilege of each day delving into God's word. And that is our day mm-hmm. where they are working in a material world, trying to balance books, give customer service and care for all the things that they need to work through. We have those things too, yeah. but it's not as consuming not for us. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it is um, difficult uh, at times to go, why aren't you kidding this? Oh. But uh, Jesus has infinite patience oh. in the truest sense of the word. And having loved his owner in the world, he loved them to the enemy. He just, he kept with it, which I, God bless him. Uh, a quick verse that uh, if I could have taken out of the Bible, I might have. First uh, <laughs> Thessalonians 5, 14, be patient with mm-hmm. all. Yeah. <laughs> and that was just from your sermon. You preached on long exactly. suffering, which That's right. posted in a little bit. Yeah. But uh, so... I, I think it's also important just to make the statement that some commentators try to say, well, the unsaved can understand and the saved can. Mm-hmm. But in this context, I, I believe the disciples are saved yeah. um, at this point, uh, his followers. So uh, 
sometimes even many times, even Christians cannot understand a spiritual truth. So Excellent point. Uh, when you get to 1 Corinthians, uh, he that is spiritual judges mm-hmm. or praises all things, but he himself is understood by no one. First uh, Corinthians two fifteen. The rare Christian seems to be spiritually minded, mm-hmm. and people don't understand the spiritually minded person. Uh, the carnal person, and I, I just quick comment. I, I saw one of these uh, posts recently. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. <laughs> well, then Paul's a liar uh-huh. uh, because he calls the Corinthians carnal. Uh, they're walking like mere men, and he, they're clearly saved. So you make an excellent point. We that are spiritually minded can grasp these things, but it's so easy to transition to the flesh Mm -hmm. and then miss out on uh, the eternal versus the material. Definitely. Yeah. And then the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? So then Jesus is explaining his statement Mm -hmm. in verse 34 and says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Mm -hmm. Once again, Jesus is right on point. Yeah. Um, this really reminded me of Matthew 4, 4, yes. which says he, Jesus, answered, mm-hmm. it is written, man must not live on bread alone, mm-hmm. but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is really speaking of scripture, but Absolutely. what comes from God. I mean, that's why we revere scripture so much, that's right. because it is inspired by our God. Mm. Uh, a great quote by Pastor Warren Wearsby. He said, our Lord did not look on the Father's will as a heavy burden or a distasteful task. Mm. He viewed his work as the very nourishment of his soul. Mm-hmm. Doing the Father's will fed him and satisfied him inwardly. I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. The law is within my heart. Yeah. Psalm 40, verse 8. So I think that's always good to remember, especially for us. Our, our joy should come from doing the will of God. It shouldn't be, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Uh, Jesus, as we said last week, he didn't... <laughs> He didn't get his food. He didn't get his water. Yeah. Um, well, mostly his water. You know, the woman, she never got it for him, but yeah. he was satisfied because he was doing his father's will. Exactly. Uh, sadly, uh, Jehovah Witnesses pick up on Jesus's submission uh, to the Father as if he's not equal uh, to God. And that makes me sad because the whole point uh, in Christ's humanity is that he submitted to the will of the Father, being equally God. But in John chapter 8, I just want to read you uh, two verses, 28 and 29. Uh, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. It's an ago me statement, an I am statement, that I'm God, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. So the Son is so attuned to the Father uh, that the Father's words are the Son's and the Son's are the Father's. But then in verse 29, and He who sent me is with me. Uh, the Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. And I just love that because He found His energy, if you will, in fulfilling the Father's will and not doing His own. And I taught on that not too long ago, and it was an excellent passage because it dealt with the with the humanity of Jesus Christ, um, the whole idea of kenosis. Mm-hmm. Um, he is eternally the Son of God. Yet in those passages, he's basically saying, I'm not exercising my authority. I am totally reliant upon the Father. That's right. And that's how he can you know, identify mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait till we get to those passages because right. we really start to understand this dynamic of mm-hmm. his fully God, fully mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
how right. he's totally reliant and is not even using the authority he possesses. That's right. Um, so verse 35 says, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. So Jesus is going to use a simple farming illustration. Mm -hmm. You plant seeds and you have to wait for the harvest. Mm -hmm. Jesus tells them to open their blind eyes and see that the harvest is ready and there's no need to wait. Um, Jesus, maybe he can actually physically see them mm -hmm. or he knows they're coming, but many Samaritans are coming and are about to be saved. Uh, I, I could illustrate this by telling a story about my wife, Becca. Uh, she enjoys gardening. Mm -hmm. I do not. Um, <laughs> it is a curse to mow the lawn. <laughs> Raking is part of the curse, I yeah. swear. So uh, all joking aside, uh, Becca enjoys gardening. Mm -hmm. So um, I love spicy things. So she made a chai uh, chili pepper or Thai chili peppers. And they are so good. But those, you know, those long red ones oh, that yeah. you get in like Kung Pao and Fire. stuff. So uh, <laughs> she starts with the seeds. She puts them in the house. Um, she puts that little light on them and it, it helps them to grow. Um, she's the sower. Mm -hmm. She's the one who planted the seed. And uh, uh, she can look and say, hey, they're not ready for harvest. Uh, the seed was just sown. It needs time to wait. Um, over time, I'll go into the room over there. And I'll see, you know, the little sprouts coming through. Mm -hmm. However, it's still not time to harvest them. Uh, the pepper plants start to grow, mm -hmm. and I still have to wait. Uh, over time, Becca will finally move the plants outside, and they will grow. Uh, then they'll turn green. Yeah. But as we know, they're not ready for harvest yet. But as soon as they turn red, they're ready to be picked. Mm -hmm. um, and the interesting thing is Becca does not eat them. Yeah. Or she didn't used to. She's starting to. It's yeah. kind of weird when you get married. I love spicy food. She was very not into spicy food. Mm -hmm. I could say it politely that mm -hmm. way. But uh, now she's really starting to put on the heat with a lot of food. But yeah. that's besides the point. Uh, last year, you know, she wasn't eating as much spicy food. Mm -hmm. And uh, she'd pick them and I'd get to eat them. <laughs> so I had to harvest. And uh, at that time, she didn't. You know, yeah. she simply planted them yeah. and I got to eat them. And that's really what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, look and open your eyes. The harvest of souls are ready. Go and reap them. Right. Um, how many people do we run across who daily are ready to be harvested and brought into the family of God? Mm -hmm. So it, it's a great picture of someone sowing and then another person reaping the benefit. What is stopping you? And this is what I said in my sermon. What is stopping you from this harvest of right. souls? who will be given eternal life. That's right. And then a verse 36 says, the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. So Jesus sees, I can just kind of picture it in my mind, all the Samaritan, this entire town right. is coming to him. Uh, Walvert wrote, harvest time in the ancient world was a time of joy. There is also great joy at the time of salvation. The disciples had the greater joy of seeing the completion of the process. A sower had a harder time because he sees no immediate fulfillment. Mm. And uh, let me just roll into the next verse, and then I can see you want to comment. Mm -hmm. for, it, for in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. Um, yeah. Sowing and reaping was done at different times and seasons. That's right. 
So many times the sowers and the reapers were different groups of people. And that's such an important concept to understand because Mm -hmm. I feel like my ministry, especially with the youth, there's a lot of, you're just sowing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're just constantly throwing out seed. And it might, you know, in some cases, these kids will come 10, 15, 20 years later almost. (laughs) Because, you know, I started doing Bible studies and stuff at 13 Mm -hmm. when they were little kids. And now they have little families of their own. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes it takes that many years. And I know from you talking and other pastors and Christians, sometimes it might be 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. And uh, you might never even see the reward. That's right. But yet someone else will. Intriguing. Uh, Verse 36, because Jesus is in the now, he's talking about presently what they were about to reap, Mm -hmm. the Samaritans. All five verbs in verse 36 are in the present tense, the reaping, the receiving of pay, the gathering uh, fruit, uh, the sowing, and then the reaping again. Uh, The whole point is that Jesus is saying, hey, guys, uh, don't be just thinking this is a future harvest, but how about right now? And the the text that I just wrote down a reference to, uh, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believe. As the Lord gave to each one, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor." And when Jesus is talking about here of the fruit for eternal life, I agree with you 100%. His disciples are saved, These this group that's with him, and he's talking about them um, gathering reward yeah. that will last forever, the souls of people in this particular context. Yeah. So he said, I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Yeah. Others have labored, and you have benefited from right. their labor. Uh, Jesus' disciples will be the reapers, those who collect the crops. That's the fun part. That's right. So, you know, because you're you're getting the harvest. However, they were not the ones who sowed the fields by planting the seeds. And who knows, maybe it was the prophets of old, Mm -hmm. John the Baptist, uh, Jesus himself, and even the woman, Mm -hmm. she had helped prepare the way. That's right. Um, They had sown the seeds, but now the harvest was coming, and the disciples would joyfully benefit Mm -hmm. from the work of others. So another biblical truth I think we can learn is mm-hmm. be encouraged that the seeds of the gospel, which you have faithfully sown, may be reaped in another season by another person. Right. You, the sower, will share in the reward with the reaper together. So I, I think that's always good to remember because sometimes ministry can be depressing because yeah. you're constantly throwing seeds. Mm. And sometimes it seems like, when do I ever reap yeah. <laughs> You know the souls? And, and it, obviously it happens. But uh, who knows? You know, you give the gospel, you you show love, kindness, um, and then over time, you know, those things will one day maybe take root. You know, I like to quote from um, John Maxwell: "There's no success without a successor," mm. and I think that's so true because this is long term. As Paul writes to Timothy, he gives a fourfold process with handing the gospel to Timothy, to Timothy to others, to others to others, and, and down the road. That's what goes on. But you have Moses. And he had a commission, but who walks him into the promised land? It's Joshua. Uh, you have Elijah and his boldness. 
but then Elisha does approximately twice the amount of miracles. Uh, so it is, it's, it, you're part of a process. And I think keeping that in mind helps us not to be discouraged at a time when it doesn't oh. seem we're doing the reaping that we'd like to do. Yeah. So it's so important and just to be satisfied. Yeah. Um, you're doing your part. That's right. And at the end of the day, too, the reaper has to make sure they're not arrogant. That's right. Because uh, it was God. Yeah. <laughs> the seeds of the gospel. So, uh, verse 39. How many Samaritans from the town believed in him? Oh, let me say again. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him mm -hmm. because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. Mm -hmm. Jesus was right. The harvest was ripe because many souls were saved. And verse 40 says So, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. This mm -hmm. was unheard of from a Jewish perspective. Right. But at the end of the day, he was their God. Yeah. These people were truly saved. They asked Jesus to stay with them for two more days. Mm -hmm. And Jesus accepted their offer. And once again, we, we talked about in the last podcast, mm -hmm. but um, Jesus wasn't really afraid of a revolt here in Samaria. That's right. If he did this with the Jews, you know, it would be a totally different scenario. They would be trying to make him king at this very moment. So um, there is a difference with the Samaritans. This woman is the perfect example of someone getting saved and being able to lead others to Christ. What did she know? Often we hear the excuse, well, I don't know enough to witness. I, don't, I mean, as if we have to answer every objection yeah. out there. She met the Messiah, came to know him and said, hey, come on, everyone, let me bring you to the Messiah. And then the second thing that really strikes me here in verse 40 uh, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him, mm. uh, beginning our account, uh, the disciples kept asking Jesus, remember repeatedly, it's the same uh, tense verb here, um, eat, 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 eat. Oh. And now the Samaritans are basically asking him, repeating, please stay with us, oh. please stay with us, showing something very special was going on. So uh, he stayed there for two days yeah. and uh, many were saved yeah. through this woman's thing. And I, and I always say it goes back to that uncomfortable conversation. Mm -hmm. um, if Jesus would have just avoided it, that's right. Um, if he didn't try to answer some of her objections, um, she wouldn't have been saved and the town wouldn't, but he was willing to have that uncomfortable uh, talk with her mm -hmm. that led to her salvation. Right. Verse 41, many more believed because of what he said. Notice that these people believed not because of signs and wonders, but because of his word. Many believed in Jesus because of his signs, but these people, these Samaritans, simply believed his words. Yeah. And that is extremely rare. Yeah. Um, in the Gospels. Most time, it's because they had seen a sign. Nicodemus, many others, it's usually they see a miracle, they see something. Where with Jesus, um, it doesn't even say that he healed their sick or anything. Right. Um, right. Maybe he did, we don't know. Right. But the text implies that these people just heard him speak and they were saved. And I think that's so... Um, what phrase can I use? Interesting mm -hmm. or captures your imagination because... Here are the Samaritans, the sellouts, the people who had hurt their brothers, mm -hmm. the Jews, and yet they simply just believe. That's right. Where uh, we know what will happen with many of the Jews. Some will be saved, but uh, those in authority will have him killed. Just a very quick mm -hmm. uh, textual comment here. Um, your translation, many more believe because of what he said. Uh, the NIV said um, about his words, plural. Uh, in, interesting. 
word here is singular. Okay. And I'm thinking it's talking about his overall message. He did use words. And I'm sure he was very articulate in what he said. After all, he is the teacher. Something so important to us uh, who are communicating the truth of the gospel. Um, we need to get a clear message. Yeah. It needs to be a unified message. We need to truly not just ramble on about every fact that we know. Yeah. Uh, you know, people are throwing factoids out there to look yeah. at, uh, intelligent, but to nail the gospel message. And I think that's why the word word is singular here, because he gave the message. And it was in such a way that they grasped it and put their faith in him. Yeah. Uh, I'll give some insight to my preaching method. Obviously, I use your fire method. Mm-hmm. But I usually try to start with as much information as possible. Yeah. You know, I try right. to get as much as I can, Good. Yeah. Um, get it in my brain. And then it's really the process of editing. That's right. Um, I say, okay, what is important? Just because I know a fact doesn't mean I need to share the fact with the congregation. Because right. obviously they can ask me later. We mm-hmm. can talk about it. We mm-hmm. can discuss it. But when I'm making that presentation, I really want to be to the point, That's right. make it clear, Leave out stuff that might be intellectually interesting, but doesn't really help along with the narrative. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think really the part of being a, a speaker or a pastor is that editing process. Right. Not that you're reducing content, mm-hmm. but you're really getting to the heart of the message. That's right. And um, both you and I know we've heard many preachers. I mean, I've been guilty of it before. But sometimes you hear people and they just bramble on and on and on or go down rabbit trails. And it's like, could you please Mm -hmm. just make the point and get to it, (laughs) you know? That's right. So um, I think that's important. So Jesus says what he has to say. Mm -hmm. And uh, they believed. That's right. Now, so many believed because of what he said or because of his word. Mm -hmm. And verse 42, and they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. Since we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the savior of the world. Mm. That's, quite a, that's quite a quote there. The people trusted in Jesus not because of the woman's testimony, not solely, but because they heard him for themselves and they were saved. Salvation, as Jesus said to this woman earlier, is of the Jews, but it's not only for the Jews. And you see that he's the savior of the world. What a conclusion. Uh, that they come to at this point, monumental uh, for them being very prejudicial in their own thinking, but um, savior of the world, that that's who this Jesus is. And that's why he's there in Samaria. And the evangelist must remember, you're always simply pointing to Jesus. And at the end of the day, they're saved because they understand the gospel. And it's not because you're some incredible person, but it's because God's word is powerful. So that wraps up the text. Mm Mm-hmm. But now we want to go to the employment points, are the timeless truths we can take from the text and apply them in our life yes. so that we can grow in our walk with the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a big problem is a lot of times we read narratives and then we don't take the time to really think about it. To say, now, what can I learn? What's a timeless truth? What's being taught here? Because mm-hmm. then it can just become story time with Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, their story of the day, mm-hmm. and then just leave it at that. So mm-hmm. employment, I, I just have two. Uh, Jesus was satisfied doing the Father's will. And obviously that has implications for us. Mm-hmm. Although Jesus was tired and thirsty, he felt satisfied talking with the Samaritan because he was obeying his Father's will. Jesus showed us that putting the Father's will above our own desire brings true satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And then a question, am I like Jesus who found satisfaction in carrying out God's will? 
and then a thought. What brings me more satisfaction, to do God's will or to follow my own desires? What does this say about my spiritual life in Christ? So we need to be satisfied to doing the Father's will. And, it, you know, it's not overly complicated. We have scripture. That's right. Um, I always see people, what's your will, God? And it's like, just read scripture. It's, it's, it's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what he wants you to do. That's right. But sadly, we have people who read plain sentences in the Bible and just say, oh, that doesn't apply to me or in this situation. So we have to do the Father's will. God, I think, reveals himself first and foremost through the word. Mm-hmm. We are firm uh, believers in that. But as we're abiding in him, Definitely. that's when by practicing the known will of God, what's written in the scripture, I think he helps us to understand the unknowable, you know, what his design is for us. What kind of ministry does he want you to do particularly? And it all comes from abiding in him. But then when we find that niche and we're doing what we're called to do, it's as the quote you had given earlier from the Psalms, I delight to do your will. We find passion and fulfillment in life because we're fulfilling the role we've been called to. And I think God opens doors for you and he shows you. You know, I get, I always get concerned with people because sometimes you have those people, I heard from God or yeah. I, I I was shown this or seen this. And it's like, all right, first of all, is it based on scripture? Yeah. <laughs> and then second, has he equipped you? And, you know, if that is his will for your life, go do it. But um, mm-hmm. I'm always very careful, especially in this time and age, especially with my generation. Mm-hmm. We're very much into the signs and wonders, yeah. you know. I'll do it if God, you know, gives me a sign or God says this. So I, I think it's very, like you said, you just obey God's will and then it gets revealed to you in the sense that you'll just know this is what I this is what I need to do. And it's kind of like a calling. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like uh, with me as a pastor, you as a pastor, mm-hmm. uh, you couldn't take us away from it. You could take away our church, you could take away our pay and we'd go find somebody somewhere and be mm-hmm. preaching to them and shepherding them because it's just, you know it's what you're made to do and you just can't stay away from it. Yeah. Um, that's why I honestly think pastors never retire. Yeah. <laughs> it's a wonderful thought. That's right. But why is it that pastors who retire then go around preaching everywhere, teaching everywhere? Because it's like, it's just in you. Um, it's a call. And so. our our calling is anchored in the Great Commission oh. to make disciples. And if we're deviating from that, then we're missing what he's calling us to do. Just a very personal uh, illustration. You know, I've been doing the FIRE series, just very elated. Book number 11, uh, The Attributes of God on Fire, just has come out. You designed the cover uh, beautifully. I wish you could hold it up for everybody to see. And uh, it was it's just, you know, special uh, to me that we got to do that. But God has put us in contact with the Black community, with the, the Latin community, and you know, we've been bringing in Latins for years and, and discipling and training them. We've made trips to Central America, but they have a lack of reading biblical material. So they don't have um, the commentaries we have and the good books. So, you know, my burden is, Lord, open that door up so we can get my books translated to get them out to our Hispanic, um, our brethren. I waited 18 months. I've been looking at this. You know how long uh, I've been probing this. And just yesterday, uh, we just landed. So uh, the Devotions on Fire uh, book, actually year two, will be done. But it's the whole point is there was such fulfillment in this because it's just part of the Great Commission. We're just trying to make disciples not of people who all look like us and speak like us, but it's of all nations. So 
And there's just a delight that just transcends words when oh. we're just in, immersed in the will of God. And that's just doing what you know is right and for your mission. <laughs> yeah, that's it. In life. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what comes of that. So excited to see that book. So then, uh, so once again, Jesus was satisfied doing the Father's will. Are you? Mm-hmm. Are you happy? Or maybe not happy, but are you joyful in the sense that you're, you're doing it? So then Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. And that's our second employment point. Jesus talked about sowing and reaping. Jesus taught the disciples the spiritual principle of sowing and reaping for the sake of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Jesus expected all of his followers to be active in sowing, reaping, or both. Mm -hmm. How active are you? I mean, we're all given the Great Commission. It's not like just pastors. So question I should ask myself, what examples can I give of sowing or reaping in my life? And thoughts. Do I actively sow and reap, or do I leave that up to others at the church? If I am not active, is it due to fear or maybe a lack of faith? Mm. Obviously, we all have fear. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, we need to be willing to give the gospel, and we need to make it a, our purpose to be able to share it clearly and lovingly. Um, anything you want to share with us before we close? Well, we live in a changing community, and I remember um, over 30 years ago seeing all the changes in our county, and I, and I asked myself, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Because I'm a white guy, and now we're having Blacks and Hispanics come in. And uh, I, one quick illustration, the barbershop I used to go to was barber school. Um, someone defined barber school as the place that your old man takes you to, but he gets his hair cut somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> If I were to walk in that same barber school over there in Blainsbury, they'd probably look at me like, we don't cut white hair now. And it's just the changes that we've um, seen. But as we aspire to be faithful to what God calls us to do, I can just say this. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. And that might actually come from the next generation. But you and I know about sowing and reaping. And we just want to encourage our, our pastor friends. We just want to encourage the the average parishioner uh, just just be faithful to Jesus, do the Father's will, and you will have the sowing and reaping that'll take place at the right time, and you'll be so glad when it comes. And I would also add that uh, doing the Father's will, uh, sowing and reaping is labor. Yeah, it, it's labor. Uh, sometimes people think if it's God's will, it's just going to go nice and smooth. Yeah, yeah. I was teaching last night to young children, uh, and we're doing a book of the Bible each week in our Bible study, and we looked at Joshua. And one of the kids said, well, why didn't God just, you know, wipe out all the bad guys by himself? I don't know. It's a good question. But it's like, he desires us to carry out his will. He yeah. He works through work. Yeah. He likes us when we work, when we labor. So understand that um, you will be satisfied when you do the Father's will, but it's work. Right. In the sense, not obviously earning salvation type of work, yeah. but because um, you're already saved. But it, it's labor. You're going to be sweating. Mm-hmm. You have sowing. It takes a lot of work. Even yeah. reaping can take a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's what God wants us to do. So we can't be afraid of it, and we can't use fear or lack of faith as an excuse. So I think that's so important. So this was—I I love this uh, this topic. I love looking at the, the good, I guess you could call her, Samaritan woman now. But uh, that was episode 11 in the Jesus Said That series, looking at every word Jesus spoke in the New Testament. I look forward to our next study together. Uh, God bless you. you.